is James Trevilian. I'm one of the pastors here at OBC, and uh, uh, our, our first string, uh, Pastor Rob and Pastor Harry, uh, at the end of first service, uh, they landed in Istanbul in Turkey and uh, arrived safely, and so, uh, so you get the third string this morning. Woo! Anyway, <laughs> now we uh, just, I'm thrilled to be able to uh, conclude our series in housekeeping this morning. Um, you know, we, we talk about the church being the household of faith, right? And strong homes need good housekeeping, and we need good housekeeping to function well. So we started this series talking about the idea of a culture of servanthood, when you come to OBC on a Sunday morning or a weeknight or, or a weekend, and you see everything that happens, uh, you know, the worship team, the tech team, the coffee's made, the pastries are there, someone is smiling and greeting you in the morning, uh, the lights are on, the things are getting fixed, uh, all of that requires uh, volunteers who are willing to do that work. There's an amazing team of people behind each one of those things that, that makes OBC what it is. And uh, the ministries here depend on your faithful volunteering and service to the Lord. And so we talked about how important that is. We also talked about being in a discipleship community. Now, some of my favorite seasons of life and ministry have been with small groups. You know, I enjoy being up in front of people and teaching and do it every week in, in youth group and occasionally here on Sunday morning. Uh, but there's something special about studying the Bible together with a smaller group of people sharing prayer requests and, uh, you know, kind of talking about the, the joys and occasional pains of life together, um, asking questions, learning together. Uh, being in fellowship with other believers is a vital part of our walk as Christians. It's so important. It's hard to do the one another's of Scripture by yourself, right? And, and one another's require another. So, you know, you've got to be in that discipleship community. And speaking of discipleship community, have you signed up for a Thrive Group yet? Because if you haven't, you might want to do that. Um, uh, first service got first stab at the, the sign-up table. And, uh, and so there's a high-top table out on the lobby with uh, Thrive sign-ups. There's only a couple of groups with open spaces. Uh, so make sure that you sign up if you haven't. Uh, make sure you sign up. And if a group, if you don't see a group that, uh, that fits your schedule, uh, let us know. Uh, we're kind of squeaking people in where we can get them in. So um, we, we want you to be in that discipleship community. We'll, we'll do what it takes to make that happen. So um, you know, if uh, a lot of the groups are starting this week or next week, so if you're ready to plug into a Thrive group, we're ready for you to be in a Thrive group. We want you to do that. Uh, so sign up or catch us at the office, catch me afterwards. Um, you know, we want you to, to be a part of that. It's so important. Now, the third message in this housekeeping series talked about the church being a launch pad for missions, right? Uh, when we keep the lights on at home, so to speak, we are able to send support to those doing the work of the Lord overseas. We are able to, to see missionaries supported and prayed for. Uh, we're able to send people to Togo, West Africa, to Romania, all over the world, and, and to see that work done. And of course, we, we followed that marvelous message up with, with a fantastic missions conference. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely blessed by missions conference last week. It was phenomenal. Um, and uh, very grateful to uh, uh, the Richardsons and to Ashraf, uh, to Pastor Harry for coordinating all of that. Uh, it was a marvelous time. And that prayer wall is still out in the lobby as well. Uh, you probably saw that on your way in. If you didn't grab a card to pray for a missionary, we would love for you to, to do that uh, 
to take a card and then take a second one and write your name on it so we can let those missionaries know that you're praying for them. So today's message is going to conclude our housekeeping series. We're going to talk about generosity. The church must value generosity. All right, I'm going to unleash my, my inner nerd a little bit. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Anybody? Oh, yeah, I knew Grace. I could depend on you. I knew. I was like second service. Uh, Grace is going to be like, yes. So, um, yeah, fellow, fellow, fellow Lord of the Rings fans here. All right. So, um, anybody? So, Grace, here's your quiz. Are you ready? All right. Who is this guy? Yeah, thank you. All right. See, Teresa, you didn't have to. Teresa was like my plant in the back, in case nobody knew who that was. Um, but yes, that is, uh, that is uh, Denethor II, if we're going to nerd glasses here. Uh, Denethor II, son of Ecthelion, uh, also the second, if we're going to be pedantic here. You know, mm -hmm. anyway, trying to rein it in, all right? Um, but he is the last ruling steward of the kingdom of Gondor, okay? If you know your Tolkien lore, and I know some of you don't, so I'm going to fill you in here. Um, the stewards of Gondor were originally advised to the king of Gondor. Uh, long story short, um, they began to rule the kingdom when the king disappeared and there was no clear successor to the throne. Um, there was, the original stewards prevented a civil war from taking place and faithfully managed the kingdom in lieu of a king. Now, this guy, you probably remember him as Creepy Tomato Guy from the movie, if you've seen it, okay? Um, but this guy uh, did not end well. Uh, we'll just put it that way. He actually ended in a ball of fire falling off the side of the, you know, if you've watched the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, you know, the stewards themselves watched over the kingdom until a true heir of the throne returned. And this took almost a thousand years for that to happen. Uh, and the stewards basically said, we're just going to be stewards until the king comes. Well, what if no king comes? Well, we're just going to keep doing it. So that was, that was their philosophy. They never sought the throne for themselves, and they were just willing to be stewards as long as it took. Now, since the stewards were not the king, they refused to sit on the king's throne. As a matter of fact, uh, they actually had a little tiny throne uh, down at the foot of the king's throne. And so the steward did not sit in the king's throne because the steward was not the king. The steward was the steward. The steward was managing the kingdom for the king. And so they were waiting. They were safekeeping things until the true king returned. So, you know, Tolkien, of course, didn't get this idea himself. He drew it from history, particularly medieval history. A steward was usually appointed by the king or lord of the realm to govern on their behalf. And you can imagine that this was a very important person. The, the steward answered only to their lord. And you know, having a faithful, honest steward was absolutely vital. There's no phone or internet, no video conferencing. You can't keep up on these guys uh, very often. And imagine what would happen if you didn't have a trustworthy person in that position of steward. It could be months between check-ins with this guy. And so if you had an unfaithful steward, imagine the mess that you would have if you left for, oh, I don't know, eight or 900 years and came back and uh, the stewards did not manage well. Uh, that would not be good. Or even just in the medieval sense, having a steward in charge of a section of your realm uh, and they didn't manage it well. It would be chaos. Now, despite its significance in history, this idea of steward has, has kind of become a, a sort of churchy term. And, um, you know, it's it just as the stewards in history and our, our fictional kingdom of Gondor here managed the kingdom on behalf of their lords, we 
are stewards of the resources of our Lord. If you are a believer, then you are also a steward. Congratulations. You may not have known that, but you are. For those that translated the Bible into English, this would have been a very clear thing for them. This would have fit with their culture, their understanding of how the world worked. You know, we're translating this as, as our Lord. And so we manage the resources of our Lord. We are stewards. It just makes sense. And so when we use that term stewardship around the church, that's what we are referring to. We are refer referring to managing God's resources well, managing them for him and for his causes. Okay, so I need two volunteers to help me out with something. Do we have two? Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything crazy, but I need two volunteers to come down to the front for just a couple minutes. <laughs> are, are both of you volunteering together? That would be lovely. Why don't you guys come on down? Go ahead, come on. <laughs> hey, there we go. So I have to be honest, first service is where we have a couple kids that come because Sunday school's not going on. I was afraid you guys were going to be stodgy and not volunteer. So thank you guys for, for volunteering. <laughs> She's like, a, yeah, that's right, we're volunteering anyway. <laughs> All right, so um, let's see. I think... Um, <laughs> See, you know, no. so uh, this is an expensive visual aid. I have counted this. So uh, just, you know, these, these you guys are going to help me keep an eye on them, right? <laughs> so I want you to imagine, you don't have to imagine very hard, but, you know, Christy works hard, right? Work pretty hard, you know, earn, 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 earn some cash, you know, dealing with unruly customers, whatnot, you know, um, working hard, making money, paying bills, and after paying all those bills, you get that paycheck and you're like, hey, I got some money left over. Uh, I need some, some savings for that vacation that, that we're going to take eventually, maybe one day. And uh, so you've earned some money. Congratulations. Yeah, keep an eye on that for me, okay? Make sure she doesn't take it. But uh, so Chrissy's earned some money, made some money, and uh, life is good, right? Physical manifestation of blood, sweat, and tears in that money, right? And um, what do you do when you earn money? You know, we, we don't keep it in a mattress or a pillowcase, right? Uh, what, what do we do when we've earned some money? We put it somewhere. Yeah, in the bank, right? Okay, you guys do bank, right? I mean, it's, it's a thing. It's not just me. Okay. Uh, and so uh, Christy says, okay, I want to open a savings account uh, so that I have a vacation slush fund. And so uh, she goes to the uh, you know, First Baptist Bank of Osterville and goes to see our banker. And uh, she opens a savings account with our banker. It's been fun, but you need to... to that's right. <laughs> there you go. Pretty much how it goes, right? So go ahead and make your deposit with the, the banker. Go ahead and give him the money. Yeah, all of it. Yes. Yes, I know. I know. I know. It hurts, right? And, and physically, it's like... Anyway, so our banker has our money. Now, if he is a banker, we're going to forget that they're, they're married for a second. But um, as a banker, okay, if she gives him her money, uh, whose money is that, even though it's in the banker's hands? <laughs> right? <laughs> So it's still her money, okay? Uh, again, uh, assuming that there's a banker relationship here. So uh, technically speaking, that is a fiduciary relationship, right? If you want to be legal, that's a trust relationship. So that is Christie's money that he's managing, right? Right, following? Okay. So uh, time passes, okay? Uh, Christie says, all right, worked hard. It's been crazy. We got someone to watch the kids. It is time for vacation. I need to go to the First Baptist Bank and withdraw my money. So she walks into the lobby of the bank, and uh, our, our receptionist looks at, looks at her, sees her walking in, and the color just drains from her face. 
And she's like, oh, no, here comes Christy. Oh, boy, this is not good. And Christy's like, what? And I mean, I showered there, right? Like, I'm good, right? What's happening? It's just, oh, you're here for your money, aren't you? Well, of course, that's, that's what you do, right? I'm a bank. Um, well, you're going you're gonna to have to talk to Andrew because um, you just need to talk to Andrew. Now, now, what are you thinking in this moment? Yeah, what happened to my money, right? So she goes and sits down with the banker. Now, Andrew would never do this, okay? This is an illustration, so, so don't hold this against him, okay? Uh, <laughs> but we sit down with the banker, and the banker says, well, you know, uh, see, about your money, well, I saw this car, and, and I really wanted the car, and, and you know, the bank uh, doesn't pay super good, uh, and, and your money was accessible to me, and I took your money and bought the car. So, uh, but don't worry, I'm going to pay you back, I promise. It's going to be okay, right? It's going to be all right. Now, what are you thinking in this moment now? Punch him. Punch him. <laughs> all right, that's what, that's what Bear said first service, too. So, okay, yeah, you're good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to sock the guy, right? I, I want to stand here and wait for the police to show up because I'm going to see him in cuffs hauled off to jail, right? The banker, I had a trust relationship with this banker. He took my money. You'd be livid, right? I mean, unless you guys want people to take your money. I mean, yeah, yeah, you'd be mad. You'd be furious, right? Um, we're we're going to change the roles around for a little bit here for a second. And don't, don't, let, this, don't let this get to your head because this is representation. I'm not saying she is God, but she represents God in this illustration, okay? So Christy takes the role of, of God. What if Andrew takes the role of us? Does it change the dynamic a little bit? Because there's, there's a little verse in Psalm 24, 1 that tells us this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. Ultimately, everything belongs to God, right? Everything belongs to him. He gives back to us, and we are supposed to manage his resources, steward his resources well. What happens when we don't? when we're selfish with our resources, when we don't obey God and do the things that he's asked us to do. It kind of changes the dynamic when you think about it like that, doesn't it? Thank you so much. I, I'll take that back now, thank you. <laughs> thank our volunteers, they were phenomenal. Thank you guys. <laughs> that was fun, thank you. Um, but yeah, Psalm 24.1 tells us that everything belongs to God. It's all his. Psalm 50 talks about the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, again, in an agricultural society, those cattle represented wealth. And that meant that God owned it all, the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth, the air we breathe, the clothes that we have, the coffee you had this morning, it's all his. My bank account, it's his. My kids are his. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 even says this, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. I don't even belong to me. I belong to God. I, I'm not my own, I was bought with a price. Everything that we think we own ultimately belongs to God. And when we realize that, it changes our perspective on how we manage things. It's one thing when it's my money and I'm managing my money. It's another thing when it's God's money and I am managing his money, his resources. You know, our place should be in that little, little tiny throne on the bottom, not trying to claw our way into the big shiny white throne on the top, because we are the stewards, we are not the Lord. 
Now, this kind of begs some questions, right? How does this even work? If everything is God's, why does he give to us only to expect some of it back? That kind of seems awkward, right? Does God need our money? No, God doesn't need our money, right? If, if you've read the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, the, the city of God being paved with streets of gold. So I'd like to think that if he needs some money, he could you know, chip off some pavement and hawk that for some funds, right? I mean, God doesn't need our money. He's the creator of everything. He owns it all already. He doesn't need any of it. So you know, if he wanted more money, I think he could make it happen and he wouldn't need me to do it. God obviously also provides for our needs, right? Uh, we've heard that time and time again through scripture that God provides for our needs and gives to us so that we don't have any need. But do you realize that one of the main reasons that we have is so that we can give? God gives us what we have so we can give to others and support his work. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul writes the Corinthian church, and he's talking about a significant financial gift that the Corinthian church was preparing. The Christians in Judea and in Jerusalem had fallen on some really hard times because of a famine that struck the land. And the Greek-speaking believers uh, throughout the world where Paul was ministering and starting churches, they heard about what was happening, and they wanted to take up a collection to help the believers in Jerusalem. Now, this was a really big deal because the, the Jewish believers and the Greek-speaking believers, the Jews and Gentiles in the church, were kind of at odds at times. They were still learning how this whole thing worked out. Um, and uh, the Greek-speaking believers were extending an olive branch to their buddies in Jerusalem, to the mother church uh, to say, you are our brothers and sisters. We support you. We love you. We want to help you. And so Paul was on his way to Corinth from Macedonia. And uh, the thing you need to know about Macedonia was that it, it was relatively more poor than Corinth. Uh, the Macedonian believers were not as wealthy. And so Paul told the Corinthian believers, hey, just so you know, I'm on my way from Macedonia. You have been telling me about this gift that you want to send when I pass through. And uh, you should know, I have a couple of Macedonian believers in tow with me. Um, they were coming with Paul partially to help make that gift in Jerusalem and to celebrate and to be a part of giving it. Now, Paul also tells them that, uh, that these two, uh, or these believers that were accompanying him from Macedonia were also there to ensure his accountability, that the money would go to what they had actually given it to contribute to. Um, as kind of an aside, I think that's a really great model and testimony for accountability in our church when we handle funds and resources. If you've ever seen uh, that box in the back that we tell you about get opened, uh, there are two people who count the funds that go through that box and ensure that they make it to the destination. Uh, we have a bookkeeper that helps us keep track of the money that is spent. Uh, Craig Campbell is our treasurer and keeps an eye on, on what we do in the office to make sure that, that we are using those resources wisely. Um, and so we have a stewardship committee that helps us in oversight of those things. And that's important. We want to be above board when it comes to how those resources are managed. And Paul set an example for us in that. So back to Paul and, and his Macedonian believers. Why is he giving the Corinthians a little heads up that he's coming? 
Well, he has these Macedonian believers in their gift, and Paul had been a hype man for the Corinthians. He had been telling the Macedonians, oh, these believers in Corinth, uh, yeah, that Corinth, the one that's a little better off than we are, um, you know, they, uh, they say they're making a gift too, and they were really excited about it. So, you know, I'm really excited to see what they give. This is a big deal, right? And uh, so Paul wrote the Corinthians to tell them, uh, just so you know, I'm bringing these Macedonians, and uh, it would be a shame if your gift was, oh, shall we say, lacking. Uh, why? He said, first of all, I don't want to be embarrassed because I've been hyping you up. Uh, second of all, I don't want you to be embarrassed because of what I've been saying based on what you've been saying. I don't want this to become an embarrassment for you. And Paul reminds them that uh, as he said that, immediately he says, uh, reminds them this was a willing gift on their part, that he was hyping them up because they were hyping themselves up. They wanted to do this. And he just wanted to make sure that, they, that that was actually still happening. If you read through the Corinthians, you see that there were things were not always uh, going well in the Corinthian church. And so Paul just wanted to make sure they got this right for their own sake. He reminds them that it was not an exaction or, you know, mafia protection money or a demand from them, uh, that it was a willing gift on their part. So he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 6. Uh, you're going to see it up on the screen here, or you can follow along in, in your Bible or device with the Bible on it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6, Paul says this, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift." So we learn a couple of things about stewardship and generosity from this passage and from the Corinthians and their desire to make this gift. First of all, God gives to us so that we can give to others. Did you catch verse 8 there? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, God will ensure that you have everything that you need so that we can give and do good. God provides and ensures our needs are met so that we can advance his kingdom with what's left. God provides seed to the sower. And if you're the sower, the one planting seeds, that means that he is providing for you. He will multiply your seed. Why? Not so that we can hoard it for ourselves, not to trade it for something else, but, but to sow it, 
to plant it, to use it. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So clearly the reason God gives us anything is so that we can give. Giving also allows us to participate in God's work. It gives us an opportunity to join him in what he is doing. In 1 Corinthians 9, we also learn this principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, these are agricultural terms, and they're probably familiar to you. Uh, sowing, which we just referenced, refers to planting seed, right? If you sow seed, you're planting it in the ground. And reaping refers to bringing in a harvest. Uh, reaping specifically was done with a scythe, and it was used to harvest grain. Uh, you may have seen images of people overseas or, or uh, you know, in older times with low tech, you know, using a, a, a scythe and spinning, kind of harvesting grain. And, um, and so reaping specifically refers to that. So this is a really, really simple principle, okay? You ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. It's, it's just, just, this is crazy. Plant little get little. Plant lots, get lots. There you go. Mind-blowing, right? Why waste time, say lot word, when few word do trick? It's so straightforward, but it's so profound. It's so simple. When we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. Now, don't misunderstand me in saying that, okay? This doesn't mean that giving is some kind of guarantee that you are going to be rich, okay? That incorrectly assumes that the harvest you are reaping is more wealth, that's not what's being reaped here. When we give back to God, we make an investment in expanding his kingdom. That doesn't guarantee expansion of your bank account. Because if it did, my bank account would be a little larger than it is. But it doesn't. That's not how it works. It means something better than that. It's beyond enlarging your wealth. We see lives change for eternity. We see people come to know Christ. They're drawn from darkness into his glorious light to join his family. We see people lifted from poverty, freed from injustice. That's worth a whole lot more than whatever a few bucks could bring in your bank account. Giving allows us to participate in God's work. Now, giving also results in worship. Paul indicated that giving cannot and should not be out of compulsion. Compulsion meaning I feel like I have to. We should never feel strong-armed into giving, never. And we should not give if we're only doing it because we feel like we have to. I'm going to say this and someone's going to throw something at me for saying it. But if you give because you feel like you have to, it would be better not to than to, than to give in, in, a, in a wrong manner. It would be better not to. We, we should give because we, we want to. Our giving is an act of worship. It's, it should be joyful, right? A cheerful giver. The Greek word where they talk about being a cheerful giver is actually where we get our word hilarious from. Do you giggle when you give? Now, I know some of you do, because when we ask for something like a snow camp scholarship, and, and you come up and hand me the check, and you're just like, <laughs> here you go. And it's fun. It's a blast. It's so much fun to see that. You know, it, it's, there's a special smile and, and kind of a, a, a glow that comes from someone giving and being generous. It's so much fun. It's outstanding. Uh, and you know, when we give, we, we know that God has given us so much, and we get the chance to give back and to say thank you for what he's done. It is so much fun. Now, giving is also an act of our own worship, uh, but it results in others worshiping as well, and that's what's so fun about giving. Paul here says that our giving supplies the needs of the saints, right? And so when, when we supply the needs of other believers through our giving, then they in turn worship God because of that giving as a result of it. 
And supporting God's work results in others becoming believers and joining the family of faith as well. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's actually been happening a lot around here over the past couple of weeks. We have been seeing people through the ministries and through the people of OBC coming to know Christ and placing their faith and trust in Him. There's been several examples of that, and that's amazing. That's outstanding that that happens. And that happens partially through that generosity and through that giving that enables these things to take place. Now, ultimately, for me, one of the biggest reasons that, that we celebrate giving and generosity and good stewardship, excuse me, is because God gave and we want to be like him. We want to be more like Christ. And so we give. Paul concluded this passage with verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, what is this inexpressible gift? What did God give us that's inexpressible? Well, he gave us the most valuable thing that he could give us. You guys know there's a little verse, you may have heard of it before, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he, that he gave, right? What did he give? He gave us his one and only son. God gave. Christ was given for us that we would have eternal life, that we would have a relationship here with him on earth. You know, eternity is awesome, but God's gift uh, doesn't start in eternity. It starts now here on earth. It starts when we begin to follow him and, and we go through the trials and tribulations of life with Christ at our side, guiding us and leading us. And that's outstanding. You know, that is the ultimate gift. And when we give, we take a step in becoming more like Christ. We become more Christ-like because he's a giver. And then when we give, we become more like him. You know, the fact that God is a giving God led to that ultimate act of love for us. Uh, Romans 6.23 says it pretty succinctly. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the wages, wages are what we earn when we work, right? We, we earn a wage, we earn a salary, and uh, the wages of sin is death. You know, when, when we try to, to be selfish, we try to live our life our own way, uh, we, we deny God, we try to do things ourselves. Uh, the wages or payment for that is death. It's separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift that he has given to us. If you have never received that gift, then I would encourage you to do that today. As we conclude, I, I want you to think about what you're going to do with what we've heard and, and if you're here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, don't leave here today. Or if you're online joining us and you're hearing this and, and this is new, don't leave here today without making that decision, without placing your faith and trust in him. That's the first step in this journey of, of being a good steward. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to be a good steward of God's resources if, if you don't even understand that you're a part of his family, if you have not placed your faith and trust in him. And so if you're here and that's you, uh, make sure you come in and talk to, to me or one of the elders or the person that brought you here this morning or shared the link with you online. Uh, we, we want you to, to make that decision and we would love to help you do that. So reach out to us, let us know. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, I'd encourage you to consider how to take your stewardship of God's resources to the next level. I think we're all in different places financially and in our stages of life. And, and so there's no one size fits all approach to, to what that looks like. And the New Testament really doesn't mandate a particular amount or anything like that. And so 
Oh, I also want to mention, I'm not asking you right now in this moment to, to do a thing, okay? Uh, Paul was, was very insistent that he did not want people to, to feel like he was uh, arm twisting, that he was doing something out of compulsion, or he used that word exaction. Um, uh, we should never give because we feel like we have to. I'm asking you to pray and consider what God is calling you to do in your journey in stewardship between you and him. What does that look like? So you may be hearing this and thinking, you know, I'd love to give back to God and be a good steward, but there's just no way. I'm up to debt in my eyeballs. The bill collectors are calling. Uh, I don't have as much in as goes out, and I'm in trouble, okay? Um, if that's you, and you were your own steward, and you would fire yourself if you were own, your own steward, maybe the first step is for you to take advantage of a tool that we have available. Um, you saw the QR code pop up on the screen. Uh, that's for Financial Peace University. Uh, that is a program that, uh, that is available to you for free. Uh, it's a video series, and, and it teaches you how to be a steward of what God has given you. Um, it is amazing that it's free, by the way, because it's normally not. Um, and so if you want to take advantage of that video series and learn what it means to be a steward, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Um, take a picture of that QR code, register for the class. Uh, if you don't know what a QR code is or how it works, contact us at the office. Uh, there's a link in the weekly email that goes out that will help you as well. Uh, bottom line, get in touch with us. We want to help you to take that class. And if you're in that class, you have questions, you're wondering what's going on, please reach out to us. Knowing how to be a good steward is the first step in, in being a good steward. Um, and, and so if, if that's where you are, maybe that's where you need to begin your, your stewardship journey, is learning how to even manage those things in the first place. Maybe the first step for you is, is beginning to give for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time. Now, if this is you, I would encourage you to take that step. As Paul told the Corinthians, don't, don't give because you have to. Don't give because the guy up in front said that you needed to. Give is an act of worship, a way to say thank you to God for what he has done for us. Now, maybe you give and you feel God calling you to a higher standard of giving. That could be your next step. Maybe you need a target for giving. Uh, I didn't talk about the idea of tithe a whole lot this morning. Um, a tithe is a gift of 10% or one-tenth of income, and it's a pretty clear biblical standard for giving. Um, and, and so if, you, if you're like me and, and you like having a target to aim at, um, you know, I'll, just, I'll just be straightforward. That's the target that my family uses for giving. We tithe. And uh, you know, maybe that's what you need as a, as a next step in giving. Maybe that's, that's where, you, where you need to be. And maybe you tithe, but you feel God is calling you to take it even farther than that, and that would be a next step for you. Stewardship, managing the resources that God has given to us, is such an important part of our lives. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus actually spent more time talking about, about how we use our, our money and our resources than he did heaven and hell. Now, heaven and hell are certainly important, right? Our eternal, our eternal destiny is huge. But I think that, that Jesus realized how much trouble we get ourselves into with, with money and fighting over money and mishandling money and, and all of those things. And so, you know, how we, we manage those resources and the perspective that we take on, on whose those resources actually are in the first place, uh, that has such a huge part in our discipleship in general. And so, 
my prayer is that we will all consider what God has next in our, in our journey in stewardship. Um, Josiah is going to come and, and lead us in song, and I'm going to wrap us up in prayer. Um, but I just I want you to, to pray and to consider what God would have you do when it comes to, to stewardship and generosity. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that, that our, our people at OBC would continue to be known as good stewards. Lord, you have blessed the, the members of our congregation, and uh, they're so generous, and uh, it's, it's so fun to, uh, to see people smile as they give and, and to hear about a need and to meet it. Uh, as soon as that needs request or, or, or that news hits, uh, Lord, so many rise up to the occasion, and uh, it's such a blessing to see our church rise to that occasion. I pray that OBC would continue in its overwhelming support of kingdom work, sowing seeds of the gospel and reaping that harvest. I pray that if anyone here or listening today has never embraced the ultimate gift of your son, that they would receive that gift today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>